0: Promo Kitchen is an all volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org slash donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Week, which is May 13th to 17th of this year, 2019. Promotional Products Week is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May 13th to the 17th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Week. For more information, check out ppai.org forward slash events. Thank you so much. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and Sport Tech. You can check them out online at Sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business.
1: Hi, everyone. It's Johanna with Access Promotions and Chef over at Promo Kitchen. I'm also an exhausted New mom, so I might be sleeping during this podcast. Nonetheless, I want to introduce some folks we're gonna to talk to you with today. I'm with Mark Graham, who is the co-founder of Common Skew and also a wonderful chef at Promo Kitchen. And today we're gonna to be having a conversation with two people in the industry who are really kind of polar opposites at this point in their careers. We are talking with Perry Worley, who has been in the industry for 40 years and his words, not mine, I don't want to age him, but he let us know he started when he was a teenager. We're also talking with Krista Franchuk. She's over at Promo Addict, and she's brand new to the industry. So she's an inside sales rep, and as she likes to call herself already, a promotional products expert, and I'm sure she'll get there fast. And we thought it would be fun to Have a conversation with them and talk a little bit about their perspectives on their first week, their first year, what they thought of the industry when they started, and just get a really good range of conversation of what it's like to be brand new and what it's like to be a seasoned vet, if you will. So with that, thank you guys both for joining us.
2: Pleasure to be here, Joanna.
1: Thanks for having us. Awesome. And thank you, Mark, always for being willing to do
0: these fun things with us. Absolutely. You sound great, Joe. You sound, you are not tired at all. You sound very chipper. So good on you.
1: Thanks. Like I mentioned, this is like my break today. So I'm having fun. (laughs) So Krista, tell us a little bit about
3: what you were doing before this job. Well, I've spent most of my career up until this point working directly in the HR industry, working as an HR consultant, HR advisor. I then started my mom journey, had a bunch of kids and did some HR consulting from home, but primarily momming during that time, and then just recently decided to go back to work full-time, which is when I decided to kind of explore other industries and came across the promo industry, and then I landed here.
0: I'm curious, how many years had you been working in HR or in kind of a career job before you started promo?
3: I spent about 10 years in the HR industry. About four of those working full-time, and then six, consulting.
0: Got it. Okay. And so Perry, you have mentioned that you started in the promotional products industry when you were a teenager. So I'm not sure if you even had a job before you joined the promotional products industry, but do you want to tell us a little bit more about what led you into the space and if in fact you were working in a job before promo?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So my dad had a manufacturing business and when I got involved with him was doing wallpaper sample books. So when you go into the Home Depots of the world of the Menards and you look at the wallpaper books, he manufactured those. And the industry was going through some changes and people weren't wallpapering anymore. This is talking about 75 to 80. People were dropping out from the wallpaper industry. So dad had a whole bunch of equipment. And he was looking for other opportunities. He went to Europe and found these note cubes the cue pads being made over there and being introduced to the marketplace he thought well this would be a great item to make in the states partnered up with a guy in germany brought the technology over to the u.s and started manufacturing them just as he was getting out of the wallpaper industry he was getting heavy into the promotion and that's basically you know i would be there i would take the bus after school to the office i would help out it would start out small you know cleaning up sweeping empty garbage cans just hanging out with dad for two hours after school from three to five and then go home with him. And then on the weekends, I'll be in there Saturday doing odd jobs and just slowly building myself some knowledge of what was going on from roots up. And then when I got a little bit more knowledge, summers were spent like, you know, when I was 16, I remember, you know, I had my license and dad would load up the Volkswagen Rabbit. We would take out all the seats. We'd load it up with all our stuff he said, you drive down to Atlanta to the summer show, and I'll fly down in two days, and I'll meet you there. So, you know, we were a small supplier. We really didn't have big pockets and deep funding. So it was really much on a shoestring budget where, you know, I loaded up a booth in the back of the car and samples galore, and off I went. And then I remember doing that at Sagney in the summer at the Concord shows. So that's how I got started in the industry, and it was pretty amazing because, As I grew older, I had the opportunity to do an apprenticeship after high school in Germany, and I learned about screen printing. I did an actual screen printing and graphic art apprenticeship for a two-year experience. And that alone really provided me the foundation to start a career in the industry. So a good start, I think, and really excited that I had that foundation to get me going. And apparently you like it because you stuck around. You know, you stuck around. It's the only thing I've known. I mean, you know, we did this supplier gig and that worked out great. And then that eventually sold the business, moved it out to the Midwest. I followed, he sold it, and then I opened a distributorship. So it's a nice progression. It's given me appreciation from both sides of the equation. You know, we talk many times and you hear people say, oh, I was a supplier and then I became a distributor or vice versa. I think that rounds the individual so much more and prepares them for a better sales experience.
1: Awesome. Krista,
3: hearing all of that, you find it overwhelming? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think starting any new job, I think, can be overwhelming. But yeah, it definitely kind of makes this me so a little bit scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. Any job isn't scary. I think his experience, though, and the way things started 40 years ago is probably different than how people are trained and learned now. Definitely. So you've been on the job for how many days now? About a week or two? This is day nine. Day nine. Okay. And wow. although it's probably unlikely for you to tell us
3: you're miserable, yeah. <laughs> how, tell us how it's been so far and what you think. Well, it's definitely been kind of like information overload, but it's been awesome. The people that I work with are really great and super helpful. So that makes it a lot easier. But I I am kind of learning that a lot of this business or a lot of what we do here, like I really have to kind of get inside Russell's head. And a lot of it is just, you know, years of experience doing things over and over again and knowing where to look for the information. And sometimes like, how do you know that? And he's like, I just do. And I'm like, I want to just know that. So it's been really good, though, because everybody's been really helpful. So it's every day is less and less scary.
1: I am smiling ear to ear right now. That is probably exactly how 90% of people in their first month would respond. And I've heard the term information overload about this industry so many times. But also for us, and us, you know, quote, unquote, vets go into a seminar, let's say about embroidery, which isn't my forte. There's just information overload, because everything in our industry is so detailed. And Russ completely nailed it on the head when he said, you just know, because you'll just sort of like, Live it and experience it and go through the motions over and over, and it'll just start sticking.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm like I said, I'm only day nine, and I feel like things are starting to stick a little bit, or at least I know where to start my search for information, which is helpful. But yeah, so much of it, I'm just like, when will I just know? Because he just has numbers and knows what sites to look at or who to talk to, and even that, like the contacts, like, oh, so and so at whatever place. It's like, how do you know all that without looking at a contact list? You know, you just know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know for us in our New York office, yeah. which is where I was for seven years, you know, vendors would come in quite often. We get to meet new people, see clients. So for us, a lot of times it was like, who came in last week and was offering that great spec deal? And 15 people would raise up their heads and say, oh, that was Vantage Apparel, call Judy or whatever it might be. So you probably have a similar type of collaboration where there's a lot of people around that you could just yell up to. Now I'm in Chicago and it's three people. So we'd lean on each other, but we also use chat and the phone and all these great resources to lean on yeah, everyone else that knows things.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. So Perry, when you think about back to this first role that you had in the promotional business, when you were working with your father, how did you manage the information overload at that time?
2: You know, Back then, the information was not as complex. I mean, we didn't have the technology, of course, that we did. And a lot of the ASI was done with the old register, basically a Bible that you'd carry around and had the information that was available to you. So I think the industry evolved massively in the last, you know, in the last 10 years, we know we've we've turned over really fast. Over 40 years that I've been in it, definitely some changes. And there was not that information that you had all that to know. The rep circles were smaller, the factories were more regionally located. So you did a lot of things on more of a local level than today we're doing it on a national level. Yeah. So as far as the information goes, Mark, we were more trying to just work with our local people. You know, back in the days you had Rolodex cards and you had notes that you kept. But you know, to Krista's point, what she's saying there is absolutely true. Even when I would now as a distributor bring on new staff people and they would come up with a project, a good owner, a good manager would right away be able to flip off answers and just respond rapid fire because that's how we're profitable. We know how to cut to the chase, find the resources, make the relationships with the vendors that we need and drill down because there is no question. There's product overload in the industry. And when you can filter that out and define who you really want to partner with, that is going to make your life so much easier going down that road.
0: Perry, I've got a little additional question that I want to sneak in here. You've been in the business now for forty years, and you mentioned how back when you first started, that the product lines were so much more simplified. The things were almost easier back then. Do you feel that it's easier? as a whole, to be in the promotional products industry now versus 40 years ago?
2: Absolutely. You know, as far as the industry goes, the change we talk about, I think today, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk at home doing research online for a project, and I can easily, you know, just pull up the internet and I can put together a quote in no time at all and provide my client with immediate feedback. You know, I have a conversation with them today at 10 o'clock. And by 12 o'clock, I can have a proposal back to them. And I think that in, in time is really of an essence that we're able to turn it around and be profitable. We talk so much about the other threats that are out there, the online businesses that people don't have the ability to talk to a human. I think we're in a spot where we can react fast. We have that human touch and we can just communicate what we need and, and move the project forward.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. And to be clear, you're saying that it's easier to be in the industry now than it was 40 years ago, just to clarify that. Yeah, 100%. Okay, got it.
1: But maybe even more just like functionally and day-to-day, I think some things were simpler in terms of, like he said, relationships and tighter circles. I don't know, because I have not been in the industry that long. I've been around for 13 years, but maybe even just like soft referrals weren't as hard to get to the person in charge. I'm not sure. Perry, I'm curious always with starting that long ago, what it was like to like fax in orders and work
2: off CDs
1: for art. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Back in the day, okay, so I'm going to put my supplier hat on. Okay. Back in the day in our art room in the graphics department, basically we had a dark room and we had the two pans where you'd pan back and forth to get the film. And you'd mix up the chemicals, of compound A and compound B in water. and water. I remember overmixing them and causing a little chemical reaction in the air and we had to ventilate. So, you know, those days where you had to, you know, the graphics... It was basically all on paper and you'd have to lay it down and place it and then take photographs and expose it and over expose it, enlarge and reduce and cut your film and then take your film down to the screen making and, you know, cut your screens. Now where we're going directly from computer to plate making, we're going directly to screen where we don't even have that process of the film anymore. Oh, amazing. I mean, just talk about the cost savings and the time elimination. So that right there is just massive. And now, even that we're doing so much in the digital realm, where a four-color process that's printed on digital presses where we don't have the chemicals anymore that smell up the room. I remember my wife, I would come home and she would just smell the inks from the screen printing. And it would be like, you know, we got rid of all that. We got rid of the fumes. We got rid of all that smell. And yes, still there are some traditional screen printers that print with the chemical and the screens and, and have all that aspect. But I think as far as technology goes in the decorating industry, it has come 100 degrees in the opposite direction where it's, it's really become more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, and more user friendly. So we've definitely seen some massive moves in that direction too.
1: Again, the fax machine thing kills me. So when I started, I do remember we were faxing in sample orders. And then Chris said we would fax in the sample order and then call the supplier like two hours later and just say, I want to make sure you got our sample requests. And they would say, yes, we're processing back samples within two business days. And now it's like, what?
2: <laughs> Even the fact that FedEx was just introduced in the, you know, when they came out and you could have something, you know, within a day later or two days later, and everybody had to have the, the black and white printout of the logos because you couldn't send a logo digitally. So you had to send a physical, what they call them, PMT sheets or, or sheets where the logos were all up. So yeah, fax machine, definitely, that was innovative.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, Krista, you're lucky.
1: Very, <laughs> Krista, tell us a little bit, you know, what your expectations are like, I guess, for your first month and year.
3: Well, I guess like personal expectations, I just hope that I'll continue to learn, learn the, the different softwares that we use here and, you know, navigating different supplier sites and whatnot my expectations are that kind of each day it's going to get a little bit easier and everything's just going to make a little bit more sense every day. And then over the next year, I guess, just kind of building that product knowledge so that when somebody comes in or whether it's a coworker or customer or something looking for an idea or a product that it's me that's able to be like, oh, I've seen this thing or I've heard of this thing or I that those ideas are coming because I just have that product knowledge. So I guess right now it's just kind of like learning the what goes on day to day and then just kind of building this like product knowledge base so that, you know, I can say, I just know. Got it. That's fair.
0: And it's a process, what I'll say. And I think that Joe and Perry, you've certainly been saying this, that, you know, you talk about these magic powers that Russell has where he can just pull stuff out of thin air and he just knows the answer. And It obviously comes with time, but what I think is so exciting about starting in the industry now compared to when I started, which was around 20 years ago, Joe, you were 13 years ago, Perry, you know, 40 years ago, is that how you found information back in our day. And, you know, it sounds like we're (laughs) like old, like grandfathers and grandmothers here. It was more of an art. It felt like it was this art where it was very relationship driven. And it was like, you were able to find out these little treasures. And that was your point of differentiation. Whereas now that's less your point of differentiation because you can find stuff so much easier through the social networks that you can see or through the software that you use, or just the suppliers that are coming in to see you. So I think that my product knowledge probably took me like two or three years to be a real pro. Krista, I wouldn't be Mm -hmm. surprised if we check in with you in a you know, six months and your knowledge is as strong as mine was after three years in this business. Yeah. So that's
3: a good call, Mark.
0: That's kind of cool, right? So you're drinking from a fire hose, which is maybe a little bit intimidating, but wow. You know, I would have loved to have had those advantages back in the day. Definitely. Perry. Okay. So now we're going to put this to you in terms of like what that first month and first year at this first job with your father, like what was that like? Obviously, we can't ask you the expectations questions because this is a question from the past, but what was it really like in that first one to 12 months?
2: I'm going to take it to the point where, you know, I'll be working in the summertime at the factory. It was definitely finding the distributors and building the relationships that would allow us to be more of a relationship type of business. You know, we talk many times And this is one of the things I learned early on was people would say, you know, I have customers and I had to make a differentiator with what's the difference between a customer and a client. And somebody took me aside once and said, you know, a client is the guy who's going to be there every day. He may not give you an order every day, but you can count on him to be loyal to you and be there throughout the thick and thin. The customer is the one who's going to place an order once a year and they're going to move on. They're going to shop you. They're going to see you around. But the client is the one that you're going to want to keep and have a relationship with. So part of what you know, I've always instilled on myself and my staff was we need to build those client-based relationships because those are the ones that are going to sustain us through the thick and the thin. And you know, as we built our business and my dad moved his business out to the Midwest, we had some great partnerships, people that we could count on throughout the years to continue to be there for us. And I think, you know, that was the starting foundation that I felt when going into this business. And as I transitioned over to a distributorship, I had my distributorship for 22 years. I had clients from day one that I still had after 22 years. And to me, that's the type of relationship business that I think is so successful and that we need to foster more and more of is, you know, finding the people that are going to be around who are going to support you. The relationships I build, they leave the companies, they move on to other companies and they call me up and they say, hey, you know, I just found you again on LinkedIn. Again, using that social media. I'll just use an example I had this week. I've got a LinkedIn from a person that was at an ad agency working with a client back in the East Coast. And she said, hey, I'm working on a project. Where are you at these days? I haven't heard for her for two years. So short of it, we set up a, a Zoom conference call this morning. We had a nice chat. I got all the dirt on what she needs. We're putting together a project. But, you know, I wouldn't have had that if I didn't have a relationship with this person. And we worked it for years and years.
1: Yeah. Krista, I know this is probably like a really intense training time and there's so many different webinars to attend and all that fun stuff in terms of training. But once you sort of get into your groove and feel like you know your role, what do you think a typical day will be like in the industry for you?
3: What I'm kind of expecting it to be like. And I realize I really have no idea. But I think it's going to be, you know, I I foresee myself sitting in my office more. I know Russell is in and out of the office meeting with clients. But for me, I think a typical day is going to be more in front of my computer, inputting orders, responding to emails, probably on the phone a little bit, talking with some clients, trying to, you know, develop some ideas for different promo things that they require. But I think for myself, I do expect the typical day to be a more sedentary, sitting at my desk going through supplier websites, looking for ideas on different social media platforms and yeah, different sites like that. So that's kind of what I expect it would be like. And then, you know, putting together those orders or presentations for people to take a look at. Well, I certainly can't
1: define your role and don't know what it would be like for you. But I will say that you definitely hit the nail on the head in terms of a lot of the tasks you'll be going through in the motions. One of the things I've always said about this job, the, one of the reasons I like it the most is that it really keeps me on my toes. And so I don't have the type of job where I go to work and have my list of things to do and an order to place and a client to call. I might have some of those on my list, but when you walk into your office, once you're sort of in the throes of it, you're going to learn that just like mom life, it's very, very much like damage control all day. Because you will get a crazy request for an order that has to be done in three days. and You're going to be searching for the factory that can help you. And then you get a call that the FedEx driver got into an accident. The whole shipment is lost and needs to be rerouted, not going to make it to the event. But While you're dealing with that, you're going to learn about your client that got the koozies in red when she ordered purple. So I'm not saying there's always going to be disasters, but it's fun in the sense of that you're always trying to you know, help one person in looking for out for another person and then someone else calls and then someone else
3: meets this. And it's just like mom life. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. We should have the hashtag mom life to describe this.
3: Um, yeah. I know like watching Russell, who's definitely been doing this for a long time, has a ton of really, you know, busy clients that he's working with and stuff. And I foresee having to not put out his fires, but a lot of that stuff is just going to be like helping him when he has things kind of hit the fan. So they say, just kind of trying to source out different ideas and and solutions to things. So it's exciting. Yeah, it is. Well, it's never boring, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like you're a professional babysitter. And that may not sound super complimentary, but I mean it in the best form of the word, that professional babysitting and making your client look good in front of their boss is also really what your job is in this industry. And that's very noble. So...
1: (laughs) But also making your boss look good, Mark.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Perry, a question for you. With the benefit of experience, what was the biggest difference between what you thought the industry would be like versus what it's actually like?
2: What it's actually like and what I thought it would be like, you know, that's hard because when you start out so young and, and you're basically just learning it and going with it as the punches come at you you know, the expectation level was really not their mark. It was more that, you know, I needed to discover really who I am and what value I would bring to the table and what I can do to make these experiences more of my own and walk away with value at the end of the day. So, you know, as far as what I thought there would be, I mean, yeah, everybody wants a golden, the big order happening every time and had expectations that, you know, everyone's going to work out right. We talk, you know, earlier just hear about how all these issues that can go wrong and, and wrong color of an imprint, wrong this, wrong that, you know, and trying to minimize the errors that happen and failure is a process that, you know, happens and we learn through the failures that we make. So believe me, we've all made mistakes. And I think that the expectations that I had and making an error and then fixing it and making it right had given me hope to make sure that down the road, We would build a a good value product that clients wanted. So it's hard really to quantify what an expectation was on that mark. But I think, you know, working with the clients and developing those relationships is really what brought my excitement level to the table.
0: Yeah. It's like you're throwing yourself right into it. You know, it's interesting how you've got these expectations of what things are going to be like in the industry, but then before you know it, you're neck deep into the reality of the business, you don't have time to think about that. You're just right into it. And that's what I've always loved about this space is that it's just so fast moving with mostly good things. There's the odd frustrating thing, like the FedEx example that you just mentioned, Joe, a little while ago, but I agree with you, Perry. I think it's really interesting as to how you just jump right into it and you get immersed.
2: Yeah. I mean, you look at things and and I've always said this to clients is, you know, okay, so Something goes wrong. The vendor does something wrong or we do something wrong on a PO to cause the wrong color to come out. But what you do tomorrow and how you fix that and how you make it better is what the client's going to remember you by. So life may serve you a bunch of lemons sometimes, but boy, man, turn around and make some lemonade out of it. Let's capitalize on the error and fix it and come out smelling even better than we go in. And then the client's going to remember that. They know that stuff sometimes goes wrong or the FedEx truck goes sideways. So, you know, those things happen in life and those are real. So it definitely helps when you can turn that around and to make it a positive. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then
1: also share those experiences with colleagues and people in the industry because it's all learning lessons. Absolutely. Krista, again, I know this is a little bit of a weird question just because you're learning on the go here, but what is really exciting to you about the job
3: and what do you feel is a little bit intimidating? when I looked at this question earlier, it was actually a really simple answer is what excites me about this is I didn't really think about it in this way before I started. But what I do every day so far is I'm shopping. And I love shopping. So it feels really like it's exciting to go shopping for people for products that are really unique and, you know, things that they're going to be able to put their brand on and give out and make People feel a certain way and I get to do that by shopping every day. So yeah, that's exciting. What scares me about the role? I think something that Perry just said in his last response about like not having expectations about the industry, but like being able to like add value. I think you said something Perry about coming to work and adding value to the industry or to your business. And I guess it scares me because it is so new and it is very, very different from what I was doing prior to this, that it scares me. That you know I won't succeed or I won't be good at it, or something you know just having that like self doubt of a new role, and I think that has more to do with the fact that for me, this is a return to work after kind of a long break from being in an office setting, and more about that rather than about the promo industry specifically, just yeah that that self doubt and learning a new a new industry, a new business, a new job, and being able to to provide some sort of value to my company. Yeah. I mean, I will say too, I think sometimes a
1: new role in sales can be intimidating. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about salespeople in general. For us, we're so not limited to what we can sell and who we can sell it to. So I'm the type of person that gets super excited about product and opportunities. And I'm always amazed when I look around and I think about what's out in retail and what we can sell to clients and personalize for them. And what clients we can touch and who we can be working with. No one has here to tell me that I can't work with the fastest growing company in Chicago right now. There's no one stopping me but myself on that. And to me, that's something that's really exciting about this industry that doesn't go away.
3: Yeah, well, I know this is a total switch from what I was doing previously. So after I accepted the position and I started telling people just in my own personal network about, oh my gosh, I'm you know, I got this job and everybody's like, where are you going? What is the job? And not a single person I talked to didn't say to me, I totally need some promo. My company, give me your card because we'll buy promo. It seems like, you know, everybody from people that work with the local school boards to construction industry. I just got off the phone with my uncle who's a farmer and he's like, I need some hats with some grain things on it. Like, you know, like it, it is, it's one of those businesses that touches every industry. And I think that the opportunities are endless.
0: So Perry, if you could give advice to a 30-year younger you, what would it be?
2: That's an interesting question, Mark, because as I've matured in the industry and the things that I value today, education to me is so important. Yeah. And it's true. When I started the education was not as robust as where it is today. And education takes many forms. And it could be from like Krista talks about hearing it from her boss, how Russell is so intelligent and has all this knowledge. That's part of education. Listening to the reps coming in and getting their education, going to local shows or regional shows. And I think every show has some education component to it today where we as individuals need to absorb as much as we can. I mean, Krista, you're coming into this, you're in this industry now just about two weeks. There's so much knowledge out there, so much you can experience. And if I knew 30 years ago that this was out there, and today we're, from a PPAI standpoint, we have such a polished program on the CAS and the MAS. And I just finished my certification for the MAS. I think, wow, I needed to do this so many years earlier. And life just happened and got in the way and prevented me from making the steps. But I think making a commitment to do it is really critical. And the other thing I think about is networking. We have so many new opportunities to network through social media, through the handshakes and the H2H factor, the human-to-human factor, that we need to capitalize on that every day more. So those are my key components, Mark.
0: I mean, it's a great response. And Krista, you're listening to us nine days on the job, and I know that you're drinking from a fire hose, so to speak. And And you might be thinking like, of course, of course this makes sense. Well, I haven't been in the industry as long as Perry. I've been in it long enough to know that that advice really resonates with me as well. And I can tell you from my perspective, when I first started, I found I was figuring out so much of it on my own, largely because I didn't know there was a big industry group of folks that could help me. The technology wasn't available at the time to be able to connect people like they do right now. And I'll also tell you that I think that there was also this view that I had that I was wary of the competition. So this was when I first coming into the business, it was like this ignorant attitude that I had about the competition in my local market that I wasn't sure whether you could share information with them. I just wasn't sure what relationship I should have with other people that were within the industry that were deemed competitors. And I can tell you that that attitude has evolved you know, completely 180 and did a few years into my time in the industry. And I can tell you by having this attitude where you build bridges with other distributor competitors, I would even call them friendly competitors, is something that just drives so much value and makes you so much smarter at your job. And that's the advice I would have given myself like a 20-year younger me was to reach out sooner rather than later. And you know, you're working with Russell and Russell's a great believer in all of that. And so you've certainly got a great, uh, (laughs) you've got a great advisor and mentor at the Promo Addict.
3: Great, well, yeah, I'm really, really optimistic about the future.
0: Yeah, well, I will say that to everyone, to Johanna at Promo Kitchen, Krista, an obvious huge welcome to our industry. You've been on the job for nine days. What a trooper for coming in and being grilled by us. And Perry, thank you so much for all of your leadership as well. And you just think of all the things you've done over the last four decades in this industry and being able to share all of that on this podcast. This has been wonderful. So a big thank you to the two of you.
2: Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.